for Brian. We're asking you to turn yourself in. We're working as hard to find him now as we did on day one. He's going to make a mistake, a fatal mistake, and get caught. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news stories? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporters every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Welcome to The Debrief. I'm Paisy Chen. We're continuing with our coverage of the Gabby Petito story, which is now a homicide investigation. A lot has happened since our last debrief, so let's take a moment to see what's happened thus far. Hey, we got a call about a male hitting a female and the two of them getting in this vehicle and taking off. So I, 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 just, I don't want to try and defend myself by saying anything here, but I pushed her away. She, she gets really worked up. Police released new body camera from when they pulled the couple over in Moab, Utah. Authorities had received 911 calls August 12th from people who said they saw Brian Laundry slap Gabby Petito. Did, did, you get, did you get hit in the face? Um, kind of looks like something like hit you in the face. And then over on your arm, shoulder, right here. That's new, huh? It's kind of a new mark. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Can I see the other side of your face? So. What happened here and here? Um, I, I'm not sure it was a... First I was just trying to get in the back of the car and his backpack was on the back. So the backpack gotcha? So there's two people that came to us and told us that they saw him hit you. There's two people saying that they saw him punch you. We're just independent witnesses by Moonflower. Well, to be honest, I definitely hit him first. Where'd you hit him? I slapped him in the crease. You, you slapped him first? And then just on his face. He gets kind of shut up. How many times did you slap Bravo, him? Romeo, India, Alpha. A couple. And then what? And his reaction was to do what? He just grabbed you. Yeah. Did he? Did he hit you though? I mean, I mean, it's okay if you're saying you hit him, and then I, I understand if he hit you, but we want to know the truth if he actually hit you. Because oh, you know. I guess. Yeah, but I hit him first. Where did he hit you? Don't, don't worry, just well, be honest. He, like, grabs my face, like, I guess. Uh -huh. um, he didn't, like, hit me in the face. Like, he didn't, like, punch me in the face or anything. Did he slap but, your face or what? Well, like, he, like, grabs me, like, with his nail. And I guess that's why it looks... I definitely have a cut right here. Like, a peel of yeah. it burns. Police separated the two for the night but no charges were filed and no serious injuries were reported. A month later, Gabby Petito was found dead. Now federal agents are searching for her fiance, the only person of interest in her disappearance. FBI agents and local cops have been searching the vast nature preserve near his family's home in Northport, Florida, since September 17th. But his parents told police they last saw him on September 14th. And now, still no sign of Brian. Gabby, Petito never goes outside. But we're starting to get a somewhat clearer picture of Petito's final hours and what Laundrie had been up to since he returned home. This week, a Jackson restaurant confirmed that the couple dined there on August 27th, the same day YouTubers caught their van off the side of the road not far from where Petito's body was found. And days after he returned to Florida on September 1st, we learned Laundrie got a new phone from AT&T. His family said it was for a family camping trip to Fort DeSoto Park, which sits on a barrier island on Florida's Gulf Shore. They say he came home with them. The park has turned over surveillance camera footage to investigate 
investigators looking into the case. And that phone he just got? Apparently, he didn't take it with him when he went on that fateful hike that sparked a manhunt. Reward for information on his whereabouts now top $80,000. And even reality star Dwayne Chapman, who you might know better as Dog the Bounty Hunter, are trying to collect. The search now is really on. So for a little more clarity about what's happening with the search for Brian Lonfrey, we're going to ask a retired inspector from the U.S. Marshals, Craig Kane. Hey, Craig, how's it going? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I imagine you're watching this search with some questions, maybe a little frustration. Like everyone else, yes. What are you noticing right now? What, what do you think is going on? You got, you got to understand that this isn't an episode of Law and Order or NCIS, you know what I mean? This isn't an hour-long search with commercials. These types of investigations could take days, months, even years. You know, case in point, back in the uh, late 90s, there was a guy named Eric Rudolph. You might be familiar with that name. He did a string of bombings in Alabama and Georgia, and he went on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. And he was a survivalist, so to speak. He disappeared. It took five years to find this guy. Five years. And you know how they found him? He came out of the woods one night when his provisions ran out. And he was rummaging through a dumpster in a rural town of North Carolina. And a local police officer happened to come by and seen this disheveled looking man rummaging through a dumpster for food. And he put him under arrest. And that was the end of Eric Rudolph. A guy like Brian here, unless he's a very skilled survivalist and he can live off the land, so to speak, there's going to come a time where whatever provisions he has runs out. And he's going to have to make a dash for a community whether to buy goods in a store or, like Eric Rudolph, rummage through a dumpster for scraps. Are you surprised he hasn't been found yet? He's been no, gone for no, weeks. No, not at all. Not at all. You know, like I said, this isn't reality TV. This is a real-life situation, um, which leads me to believe this was well-orchestrated, well-planned, and he had a lot of time and resources, somebody's funding him, okay? Or somebody funded him with enough money and enough, let's say, if he did go out into the woods, enough provisions to get by till he came up with his next plan of action, whether to leave the country or go to a remote state where he thinks maybe his face isn't plastered. But I'm sure the FBI put out a bolo beyond the lookout nationwide. Not only that, but I'm sure, and, and let me just step back. By getting this warrant opened up the door for the FBI or any law enforcement to subpoena, use subpoena powers to get records, whether it's uh, some kind of digital footprint they're looking for, to get into the house, to check any kind of platforms that he might be using or somebody who's helping him 
might be using. They could even have a forensic artist compose a, a couple different photos of him with hair in case he's wearing a wig, you know, clean shaven, uh, scruffy or a full beard, different types of looks that he might be using to conceal himself. There's a thing called a red notice. I don't know if you're familiar. A with red it. notice? Yes, a red notice. Okay. And that is Interpol. And the marshals are one of the lead agencies for Interpol in the U.S. Although we have the domestic part of this investigation covered throughout the country, it also, the red notice puts all member nations throughout the world on notice of this felon, has all his particulars, it has photos of him. It gets blasted out worldwide. Yeah. You know, if anybody comes in contact with him, they could hold him till the U.S. gets what's called a provisional arrest warrant and we could extradite him back to the U.S. So that was one of the biggest fears, right, of people that are watching this, that he had so much time to get away that he's probably in a different country. But you're saying that doesn't matter. You know, with, with social media and our treaty countries, the world got smaller. It's not that easy to hide anymore. We pulled people out of Thailand, Vietnam, Amsterdam, Cambodia, all over the place. And look, people, as sad as this is, people love a good murder mystery. And that's what this is turning into. I feel terrible for the family, what they must be going through. I could not even imagine it. But they have a lot of support. And this guy will be found, maybe not sooner, but he will be found later, you know? It's just a matter of patience and time. Craig, let me ask you something. Do you think he's alive? You know why I think he's alive? And, and this is a critical, critical moment that kind of changed my view on the whole subject. It could have been plausible that the parents might not have known where he went until they made, in my view, the most critical mistake they made. And that is when they said, after he went missing for a couple of days, the parents called the police and said, yeah, Brian's missing. He went out into the preserve there to meditate. Okay, and he took the mustache. Okay, that, that's fair. When he didn't come back, they called the police. However, before that, the parents went out to the preserve and miraculously found the mustache. Supposedly, then they said, oh, he left his cell phone home. So now you're going to go out into the preserve. You're going to leave your cell phone home, your only communication. Then the parents are going to go out there and miraculously find the Mustang. That's when they should have called the police. However, they took the Mustang home. So now you're going to leave your son out in the preserve with no form of communication and no way to get home. Does that make sense to anybody? What does that tell you? It's all, it was all a ploy. I don't even think he was ever in that preserve. He had plenty of time to calculate his moves with the parents' help, I'm sure now. I would just imagine that the uh, Bureau is doing forensics on all their financials to see if X amount of money was taken out of an account prior to him so-called going out into the woods meditating. 
I doubt anybody has thousands of dollars stashed under their mattress. And they go, here, Brian, here's $12,000, you know, uh, go buy some provisions and disappear or get a train ticket or make it across the border somehow. So it's interesting. You think that that was their critical mistake, going back, going to the preserve and bringing the car back. Yeah, why would anybody in their right mind do that? When you know, and you made a statement to the police that he, oh, here's his phone. So he went out into the woods to meditate. He took his car. So now you're going to go as the parent, take his car, find his car, then bring it back home. When you know your son's out there, how's he going to get back home? He can't call you because his phone supposedly was left in your house. He, was he going to walk back? It makes no sense to me. And, and as a 30-year investigator type, that I was doing, you know, these, these types of cases that I was doing, to me, that would say they're full of crap, you know, that they helped him somehow, some way. That's just my view. So then they, not only do they get his car, they go and bring his car home, and then they wait three days to call the police. Why, why is the FBI and the police still searching that swamp? Like anything else, we have to, even like with America's Most Wanted, Thousands of tips came in. When we did the Beltway sniper case, thousands of tips came in. People were calling phony tips in because they didn't like their neighbor. But you have to vet every lead. Some of them you could disregard right away, you know, like the lady with the crystal ball uh, that I had an interview once. She had a crystal ball going and she's telling me where the guy is. You know, he's on planet Mars or whatever. You, you could discount them right away. but leads that could possibly be credible, you have to exhaust it to the fullest, okay? So they have to finish their search till they feel comfortable enough where they could move on to another area. You could do a two-pronged investigation at the same time of two different areas. You're not just going to get some kind of half-credible thing, oh, he's up in somewhere on the Appalachian Trail. So you don't just pull your resources from the Florida site. You have another team or teams working simultaneously to vet that lead and see if you know there's any kind of evidence that could be uncovered. As you know, we're now learning that when Brian came home with Gabby's van without Gabby, his parents took him on a camping trip uh, in a different part of Florida, Fort DeSoto Park. What is the significance that they took a camping trip together? To me, that was the ploy. The camping trip could have been to buy him time. That camper could have been loaded with provisions for him or money, and then somebody else whether it be a family or somebody in his trusted circle of friends. And I'm sure that the FBI is tearing that apart. They're looking at call detail records. You might even uh, come across a number that he's using, a burner phone. Well, <laughs> it's interesting you bring up the burner phone. Um, we got a statement from the laundry family attorney who uh, said the following to us. I'm going to read it to you, okay? He says, I can confirm that a phone was purchased on September 4th this year. This is mm -hmm. after he came back from Wyoming. Brian opened an account with AT&T for that phone, and he puts in parentheses, not a burner. Then he says Brian left that phone that he just got on September 4th at home 
the day he went for a hike in the preserve on September 14th and that the FBI now has that phone. Yeah. So my take could possibly be, possibly, that phone was purchased, not for Brian, but for the parents to communicate with another phone that Brian might have that is unknown at this point to law enforcement. That could also have been a mistake the parents made because now the FBI will get the records of that phone. You know, they're not gonna tell you as a reporter or the public everything they know. Right. And rightfully so. Certain things you have to keep close to your vest while you're doing the investigation because you don't wanna tip your hand to anybody. Craig, you brought up a very important point that I wanna go back to. You believe there is a, another party helping him. You yeah. don't think it's just the parents. Like one of my old partners said, who's who in the zoo? You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. You got to find out his trusted circle of friends. He's not getting help from a stranger. That's for sure. It's not like this is a political or religious thing where he's getting help from some kind of organization. There's no network helping him. Correct. Correct. Okay. Nobody's going to help this guy. And I always say, we're not magicians. We don't have a magic wand that we wave, okay? We don't have a special mirror looking glass or anything. We have to go on what we uncover as investigators, evidence, okay? Right now, unless the FBI or local law enforcement knows more than what they're telling, I'm sure they do, but unless you have hard evidence where he could possibly be, it's going to be a waiting game. The most important thing is what people like you are doing, blasting this out there. The more people that see this and the more people that don't let this die and keep it fresh in people's heads, because this is a big case. One day, somebody in the public is going to see this guy and they're going to call in the tip and a local cop on the beat might see him hitchhiking or walking through the woods or a game preserve warden or in a foreign country. Somebody's going to see him at some point, call in the tip and then an arrest will be made. That could take months. That could take years. I had a case where a guy escaped from a Virginia Road gang in 1950. 1950. Mm. I caught him in 1990. That was 40 years. Wow. Yeah. So hopefully. Well, back then it was easier to hide for that long. It was easier to hide, especially back then. And even in 1990, you know what a guy was hiding in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, in plain sight. <laughs> using his real name. So. My goodness. Yeah, exactly. Uh, of course, this didn't have the social media platforms and, right. and uh, things that we have today, but it goes to show you people, if you have enough resources and you plan this well, you could disappear, not forever, at some point in time, unless you get extremely lucky and it has happened, He's going to make a mistake, a fatal mistake, and get caught. Or some vigilant person out there is going to say, hey, this looks like this guy. Let me call in this tip. You know, you got John Walsh involved. You got this other guy, the bounty hunter. Dog the bounty hunter. That's my next question, Craig. Yeah, he um, pinpointed him at Fort DeSoto Park, right, in September. 
the lawyer claims he came back with the parents. He's not there, but dog is over there searching. He's looking at all these islands. He's, but he's doing his own search, right? Correct. Well, because the FBI and the local police, they are not searching there. What is, you know, do you think these concurrent searches are good? Do you think, you know, anybody that's searching for Brian is a good thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I would encourage it, you know. Listen, when we were youngsters, okay, with the son of Sam, we were like 18 years old. We were driving into Brooklyn with a baseball bat in our car, and we were looking, we didn't even know what we were looking for. But, you know, <laughs> there was a big reward. So that was the summer where everybody was scared to go out and everything. Now, this brings me to another point. And I told uh, that reward is getting up there for this Gabby case, okay? I mean, I think it's over $100,000. People will turn in their own mother for that amount of money. The pot is getting up there, right? Right. Now, listen, now, if I was Brian Lawn, I would go to a place like San Francisco, one of these skid row places where there's an abundance of homeless people. You could melt in, get yourself a cardboard box, little sterno stove, change your appearance around a little bit and just blend in with the homeless population where it's really big and where the police don't like to go. Okay. Especially interesting. In so that's where you would hide. That's where you would look if you were no, looking I, for Brian. I'm not going to tell you where I would hide being an investigator no. <laughs> and how <laughs> right. I would but, do it. I can't give all my secrets away, but, <laughs> but you but, would look there. That's a good place to look. I, I, would, think. I would look there and you know, it, it's a calculated risk because just because you're homeless doesn't mean you're an idiot either. Some of these guys are very astute, street smart. It could be a gamble, okay? However, in some of these more liberal places like Seattle, where there is a large encampment of homeless folks, he might be able to... And the reason why I say that is because uh, a lot of these places are hands-off with the police. Police don't go into them. That they're okay. told, stay away from the homeless, let them live their life, blah, 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 blah. So a lot of cops don't even go there. Would that be a place I would consider? Yeah, I would have a list of places I would consider, and that would be one of them. But So let um, me ask you, where would you look for him? You're, you're in charge of the search for Brian Laundrie. Well, are you going to be spending more time in that swamp? Are you going to Fort DeSoto Campground? Where are you going? I'm going everywhere. Everywhere and anywhere, I think that it's plausible that he could be. You, you cannot say, oh, no, he's, not, he's definitely not there. You don't know that, okay? okay. Um, he could be in another, he could be in the other glades. But you can't just start picking places out of a hat. Well, I think he could be here. I think he could be there. You could never cover all that ground. So unless they have some kind of evidence or some kind of information that could steer them in a certain direction, you can't just arbitrarily start picking places. We reached out to Laundry's family for responses to Kane's comments. Their family attorney said they have, quote, no comment on what uninvolved people think. They are just guessing.
And as we are recording this, the FBI is back at the Laundry family home. Their attorney tells us that they are merely there to retrieve some items to help canines with their search for Brian, and that it means nothing more. That'll do it for this debrief. I'm Paisy Cheng. Till the next time. Uh...